Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everybody to the Potapalooza version of Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to empower you as a leader to grow your business or take it to the next level. As some of you know, a great passion of mine is, though, to work with the youth to find their voice. And I am so excited to have Dr. Ann Katana Lynn as my guest today. And so as I always do with a podcast, I ask a simple question of my guests, which is first, where are you located? Where are you calling in from? Yep. So uh, thanks for having me. I am located in Elysburg, Pennsylvania. Um, it's kind of the central, yes. central Eastern a little bit. If you, anybody knows where Knobles Grove Amusement Park is, that's, mm-hmm. I live close to that. So I'm originally from Pittsburgh. Oh, awesome. Pennsylvania girl. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) ma'am. So what is a little bit of background? We don't have a lot of time on this pot of Palooza, but just give us, you know, that Mm -hmm. elevator pitch of of what it is that you do and why you do this. So I'm an educational consultant and coach, and I help schools create safe, supportive, and successful environments. Uh, through coaching and training. And I really focus a lot on helping them to create safe spaces for not just the kids, but for the staff, for families, for everyone. And I have my own childhood trauma story that impacted me. And I was really kind of, I was under the radar in many ways. And yet I self-medicated and did all, it impacted me in a lot of ways that were kind of hidden. So as I, um, you know, finally in my early thirties, I had kind of that journey of healing and also became a special educator at a time at the time, because I felt like I got the kids. So anyway, so that's kind of why I do what I do. And I realized that teachers often don't get a lot of training in, you know, really behavior and classroom management and all of those things. So, uh, I'm, I was a state project director for safe schools, healthy students. And now I'm and it came out of the Sandy Hook Columbine shooting. So now I'm continuing to do that work just on my own as a, uh, with my company. And I work directly with schools uh, mostly. And so um, just excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. It, you know, we're so aligned. I, we were discussing earlier how, what I find as I'm working with kids to learn how to be comfortable speaking in, in public, whether it's with one or two people or a classroom. And that's the thing people need to understand that the fears that we have as adults in, in talking at meetings or whatnot really started from the time we were very, very young. And the the trauma that you discussed that so often, especially for women, mm. we like just like put it under the covers, press it down, press it down. <laughs> we have to be strong. 
And it doesn't help us. (laughs) No. And it doesn't go away. (laughs) And it doesn't go away. It actually, I think, ferments and grows into worse things. Mm -hmm. So how can you, as you're approached or approaching a school or a family community group, whatnot, what is the first few things that you look for in those initial discussions that will help guide you to help them grow and overcome that what they've kind of the walls that they built? Yeah, great question. Uh, I one of the big things that I I do early on is I do focus groups. So I meet with all school, all aspects, all stakeholders, all people, families. I get students. Uh, teachers from all the grade levels, admin, uh, you know, anybody else, and really talk to them about what are the strengths and what are the areas of growth that need to grow? uh, And how would also, you know, what are the suggestions they think? And how would they like to be involved? So really just asking those questions, it helps people to think about stuff that they may have not thought about ever or not, you know, they don't think about it regularly, especially in Mm -hmm. schools. It's like, here, you're doing these things. We have things that we have to do. And so just asking people alone helps them to feel like they are empowered to have some decision in what's going on in their school. So that's kind of one of the first things. And I also, I do mapping. So I look at what are all the different things that you have going on, you know, and a lot of what I do is around kind of, um, school mental health and bully prevention and positive behaviors. It's just that all of those different initiatives can actually interfere with each other if they're all in silos. And so my first thing is really looking at how can, what do you have so that we can then break down the silos. So whatever you're doing now and in the future is actually going to work more effectively and efficiently. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of some of the early things on ant that I do. And a big piece is around staff wellness because if the staff are not able to manage their own emotions and um, really, you know, manage their own behavior, even then they're not going to be able to support the kids. It's they have to put their own oxygen mask on first. And so I try to, you know, look at doing that. And I do some training as part of that, as well as coaching. I think that's an important point that you make about the, the staff and, As we mentioned earlier, a lot of us have baggage of our own. And so seeing seeing the the issues that the students might have, Mm -hmm. the way that we were taught to overcome it may cause us oftentimes to say, like, toughen up or, you know, no crying at baseball kind of thing, rather than really being that advocate for, for healing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and that takes courage. Uh, and so, and a lot of times it's easier to look the other way, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it actually makes it worse, which I think COVID kind of brought up things to the surface that were already there. It's not that there are new things going on. I mean, there are some, but it was all, there were a lot of things that were already happening. So. I know. For some people, some of the students, COVID was uh, like a a breath of fresh air for them because all of the bullying, the things that they were living through, now they're at their home. Their schooling was going to hell, but but they were feeling more comfortable because they weren't in that daily 
war, if you will. Yeah. But whenever it came time to go back, there was a lot of trauma. Yeah. And, and there are some kids who their home was not safe yeah. and they were stuck at home. So that made it, you know, again, they couldn't wait to get back to school. Mm -hmm. So we have kind of a whole spectrum of kids that had different experiences. Um, and, you know, yeah, it was, it was a lot of trauma. I know our granddaughters, um, uh, my stepdaughter homeschools them and cause they were struggling and she's continued to do that cause they were going to start back the next year doing virtual. And she's like, Oh no, we're not like, it was so stressful that year. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and again, I think a lot of schools have figured things out, but you know, that was their option. And, you know, they are, have that privilege to be able to do that. And so many kids just the, you know, whether it's a single family home where they, the parent couldn't really help them with things, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those are all some of the challenge. So there were a lot, of, there was really, there were really a, a whole spectrum of different experiences for, yeah. for kids and trauma really was, it was kind of a collective trauma, not just for even the kids. Again, it's for the adults as well. I think that the next probably decade is going to be very telling and how we deal with it. And thankfully we have people like you that are dealing with it. But I think that there's a lot of things that are going to come out of it. Things that, um, if you if you think back, I'm 65, so I think back in in the years of of the various wars that we had. But even going a little further to where when my husband was young and they had the C Cuban Missile Crisis, mm -hmm. and that didn't impact him personally, right? But he knew of it, and that was always in the back of his mind as he was growing up. And so now you have this whole generation of people that were at least maybe four years old that could kind of figure out there was something different going on mm -hmm. that are, are going to be having sort of worry each time a new virus comes, mm -hmm. will this yeah. be another one? This, yep. will this be another one? And, and how is that going to impact their truly living life? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot more fear in general, um, especially from the kids who have spent a lot of time at home. Yeah. You know, that um, kind of separation anxiety, as well as, you know, there was just this angst that everybody mm -hmm. had in many ways. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely has created a lot more. We see a lot more anxiety, just a lot more stress in general. Um, you know, and there are a lot of, like I said, I was kind of under the radar. There are a lot of kids that, um, they may be going to the nurse and, you know, they may not be having problem behaviors, but if they're going to the nurse pretty often, or if they're missing school a lot, they, it could be because of their own anxiety, you know? Mm. And so it's, if we wait until everything is falling apart, you know, we can, we've, we've kind of seen how it's already going. And so, you know, my goal is to really focus on, all right, what can we do to prevent it mm -hmm. and, and mitigate as much as we can so that it doesn't escalate any further. So. And I think I have heard you talk a little bit on this before, but would you just talk, touch a little on the impact of social media in mm -hmm. what you do? Because we know that more kids than that have their phones 
they're not supposed to have them in school, but they do. And so that adds another level of trauma to yeah. um, their development. Yeah, because they can't get away from like, especially if they're cyberbullying, they can't get away from it. Whereas when you, you know, I remember when I was in school, uh, you know, I go home and I was once I left that door of the school, I was free until I got back there, you know. And so, um, whereas kids now, they don't get to escape that mm -hmm. and the pressure and, and kind of that, the, you know, comparison, looking at other, other kids and other people in general, you see, you don't see the real thing on there. Um, you know, there are obviously some good parts of social media, but there are some parts that are, that are not quite, um, you know, support helpful. And so the fact that they're, they're just spending more time on technology in general and doing less physical activity, you know, playing, um, you know, collaboration, doing collaborative things with playing on a team or, you know, something like that, being involved in scouts that a lot of kids were not doing as much of that. Um, and so that kind of squashed a lot of the skills that are those skills that are extremely important for us to be successful adults. And so, you know, that, that isolation, um, and just communicating through a phone versus communicating, talking one-on-one, -on -one, like right. being able to read somebody's body language, you know, picking up those nuances that we don't even often realize that we do, but some of those things are missing. And obviously, you know, again, our country is so polarized in so many ways and it's, that's perpetuated in schools, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. they're not, they're not in isolation. It's like this constant bombardment. So. So if, if you, for one minute, we'll put on the parent's hat yeah. and then I'd want you to put on the child's hat. Yeah. So that the parent, how should, understanding that there's that Oh, I should invade their privacy. Well, they're, they're your kids, but anyway, yes. um, so you have that mindset going on. Like I, I want them to like me and not think I'm spying on them, but you need to be sure that things are okay. So what are some signs and what some advice you'd give for the parent? And then thinking later about from the, ch the child, the student, if they're, having things going on cyberbullying or whatever what advice do you give to those students as you're talking to them to make them feel comfortable and confident mm -hmm. to raise their voice to yeah. share so go ahead and one of the big things so for parents um kids actually need boundaries and the more trauma they've been through they need them even more so and it, it's not a boundary of like, I'm going to put my fist down or thumb, you know, whatever, my foot down kind of thing. It's more of these are the things that we will accept and not accept. And they're non-negotiable, you know, kind of like that's it's that structure so that kids actually understand the consequences like mm -hmm. they, you know, whereas if the consequences are inconsistent, that alone is going to be stressful for kids. So mm -hmm. the more and not just consequences, positive things as well the more we actually have those structures. And so that could include having like timers on your computers and, and for parents to use things that limit kids screen time, that is not you telling them what to do. It's automatically on their phone. 
And maybe it's a challenge that the entire family does. Because <laughs> a lot of times adults are like, well, you can't be on the phone, but then they're on the phone. It's like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And so, but when you, when you put boundaries, that helps take it away, takes it away from you being the bad guy. That makes the the phone, you know, app or whatever, the boundaries, they're kind of natural consequences. Mm-hmm. So those are ways to help kids and kids actually help. They feel better about themselves because they understand those boundaries and they learn then how to put those boundaries up for themselves. Cause I know I didn't, I really struggled with that as a kid. I didn't know how to have boundaries and, you know, they were trampled on and I didn't know how to, how to speak up for myself. And so, you know, letting kids know it's okay Mm -hmm. to say no, like we want to actually teach kids to say no, because what Mm -hmm. happens is that we teach kids to be compliant. And then, you know, I went to 13 years of Catholic school. That's not a good thing, um, you know, to just be compliant and do what people tell you, especially when they're trying to abuse you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it's, it's you know, we just want to make sure that we're giving kids choices as well as boundaries within whatever it is that we're doing. So that's a great way to do kind of with social media. In terms of kids, I always, you know, one of the gifts of the trauma that I've been through actually, I think helps me to be more aware of mm-hmm. like, cause I remember it so well, like I said, I wrote my book and I remember it all. So because I remember my own experiences, mm-hmm. it helps me to have em- more empathy for the kids. Yeah. So I can kind of relate to what they're going through. And I understand, I try to give them what I needed. And so one of those things is just being with them and helping them feel safe and let them know I'm there and that I care. You know, we don't have to have the best, you know, speech to give them. We just need to let them know that we're caring. That can be that we care. And that can be little, little nuggets that we put in throughout the day. Mm -hmm. How was your day? Little simple things that we can ask, um, you know, and sometimes they may not care, but keep going, just keep, you know, like, Hey, I I just want to make, I want to make sure that you're feeling safe. And I also want to have, you know, I'm going to have boundaries so that I'm not going to, we don't want to let kids just do everything that they want. Cause that's going to damage them. Yeah. I found whenever I work with the kids, especially in those first several times, it's, it's that building that lick, that trust. Mm-hmm. And I listen a whole lot, you know, ask those open-ended questions, but I listen and I don't judge them. And, and when you start to do that, in some cases, one of the things that I do is I evaluate their talk as well. Mm -hmm. And I always tell the teachers that it's sometimes the only time that that child has had somebody for four minutes straight that didn't interrupt them. Yeah. and they completely listened enough to what they said to be able to mm-hmm. feedback what they did well and how they could improve. And I yeah. think as teachers, parents, friends, we need to take to take that into account so uh-huh. that as we um, we model the behavior that we want, that those kids will see how they can be. Yeah, absolutely. Modeling is such a huge piece, you know, again, we have to kind of put our own oxygen masks on first mm-hmm. and, you know, what healthy relationships are for kids and healthy behavior. So, yeah. So if there was just um, two 
tips, nuggets that you would want to leave the audience with today, what would those two things be? It would definitely be for any adults who work with kids, make sure that you're taking, you're putting your own oxygen mask on. What are little things that you could do? Deep breathing, some little teeny things that you could do throughout the day. You always have your breath with you. Drink some water. When you're sipping, you're actually breathing. Those are just two quick and easy things. Uh, and the other is uh, just really focus on that we are models for the kids. And so that we want to be the best us that we can be because that's going to have the greatest impact on the kids. We can't mm -hmm. think that, you know, we can't be do what we say, but not what we do. We've got to model right. it. So drinking water also keeps you from saying something you'll start be sorry for. yeah yeah <laughs> that take a break like the the kit get kit kat bar <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well it's been wonderful chatting with you i yeah. definitely want to have us keep to uh stay connected so that we can do more things together but um, would you share your website with our audience, please? Sure, sure. It's www.katonalynnconsulting.com. And um, yeah, I have a free gift. It's the the three ultimate strategy, strategies to quiet the stress storm in your classroom. And I also have a home version uh, with some variations in there. And then I, um, I also have a book, uh, Shedding Lies, Living Beyond Childhood Trauma, that is on sale now um, on Amazon ebook. And so, and then it, you can, uh, if you want to book a call with me, you can do that and we can see how I can help you. Awesome. So yeah, thank you. And all of her information will be on my website as well as YouTube whenever I post this. So if you didn't get all that, just make sure you go to my website or my YouTube channel and be able to download that information. Once again, Dr. Ann, it has been great meeting you and chatting with you. And as I always say, life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.